0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Uh, Well, good morning. My name's Matt. If I haven't met you, uh, it's... Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. There is no online presence. This, I, it's been a while. It's been since August since I've been up here. So I miss you guys. You're looking good. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, let's, let's start by just, let's bow together. Okay, let's, let's take a second. Continue where Sarah began leading us this morning. <clears throat> just be still for a moment. And know that God is here with us. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, his His very spirit is indwelling you right now. And he's among all of us. He promised that. So Father, together we acknowledge that today and we ask that you would do a great work in our hearts today and in in your, your church here. Holy Spirit, just come and fill us, teach us. May we be reminded today, Lord, of how much you love us and how you love to be with us. So we're listening today and we're asking that you would come collectively and individually and speak to us today. We just thank you that you're here among us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are continuing the Gospel of John. We're picking up where Jay left off last week. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 53 to eight eleven. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And if you do, um, there's a couple interesting things about this passage. The first is that it's either going to be bracketed or italicized, or it's going to say something like this. The earliest manuscripts do not include the section we're talking about today. Don't let that discourage you, okay? Um, <clears throat> there, there's a lot of reasons why why most biblical scholars think this story actually belongs in the scripture. Some may argue where it belongs, but there's all kinds of manuscript, uh, tons of manuscript evidence that, that this is a historical story. It's um, another reason that, that, that we believe that is it it basically shows Jesus how we see him in all the other scriptures. I mean, there's nothing out of the ordinary here. Um, Even uh, our most prominent uh, Bible textual criticism scholars like, like Don Carson and Bruce Metzger, they say things like, the account has all the earmarks of historical veracity. And so there's little reason for doubting that the event occurred. And, And even John, later in his gospel, he writes things like this. Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. Hyperbole for sure, but you get the picture. Jesus did a lot of things. And like we said at first, if... If the story was about Jesus running some cockfighting ring on the south side of, you know, Gethsemane, we'd be like, no, that's not our Lord. Okay? He doesn't roll like that. But, but this story rings true about what we know about Jesus. And all of us should be interested in this story today because it's one of those stories that's so inclusive. There's something for everybody in this story. People who are rigidly religious Find something for them in this story. People who aren't religious at all. There's something in the story for you. People who are very conservative and believe that sin needs to be dealt with specifically and quickly. Something here for you. And those of you who maybe are a little more liberal and think that sin should be dealt with with a very tolerant and compassionate manner. Well, there's something for you in this story as well. And it's my prayer that as we look at this story, we we come to realize that, that no matter where you are, You either have been, will be, or you better be broken and exposed and honest about your life with God. So that's my prayer for us today, and may Jesus reveal our hearts in this story today. I'm not going to read it first. We're going to read a little bit, and we're going to talk about it. We're just going to go through. Those of you who like sermon notes, first hour, they weren't printed, so it was just a chaos thing. Um, But for those of you who like them... I will be we'll be filling in at the very end. So I'm just going to tell the story, and then so so you guys aren't getting triggered, just sitting there. Come on, Matt, fill it. We'll get to it. Okay, (laughs) all right. Gospel of John, chapter 53, or 753. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So here's the scene. Remember, as Jay pointed out last week, this is the festival of tabernacles or booths or tents that they're celebrating. Every year, Jewish families would get their kids together, and they'd head towards Jerusalem. And they'd set these tents up all around the the, the temple, area, and, and it, it was a festival, man, I mean, you just think vacation, right, I mean, you get your kids, you're getting out of the normal stuff, and it's after harvest, so you got a little coin in your pocket, so you're feeling good, and, and you get there, and it's, it's, it, it's kind of like Easter and the 4th of July combined, right, so for us, so you have this, on the one hand, you have this nationalistic celebration where, you know, the nation, it's great, um, and on the other hand, it's, there's this very specific, more sacred Um, Spiritual Aspect to it as you're remembering What God has done for you as a people Bringing you out Of slavery and bondage and calling you To himself So every year the city swells People coming from all over and the temple Swells too and so now we see Jesus he's sitting There and he's got all these disciples And people gathered around to listen To what he has to say and some are hanging on Every word he says They're captivated by the things he's saying Showing them what God's truly like. But some of them, man, they, they don't like Jesus. Some in the crowd, certainly the religious leaders and Pharisees, they, they want nothing to do with this guy. As a matter of fact, they've, they've called him demon possessed, they think he's a heretic. And last week, they sent the, the religious authorities, sent the temple guards in to have him arrested, to shut him up. He's a threat to them. But they, they, uh, they failed. And so upon returning to the, to the religious leaders, they're, they're like, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And remember what they said. No one has ever spoke like this man before. It's like they didn't know what to do. And so now, now everybody's back, okay? Next day, they're all back. Jesus is teaching again. He's out in the open. He's not hiding. And the religious authorities, they want to take another shot at him. Okay? They know he's there. and They, they want to get him. They want to expose him as a fraud. Right, expose him as a psycho instead of the savior who actually is bringing God's word. They're zealous for power and control. Again, he's a threat to them. They've wandered away from their role as shepherds, and Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy, and they don't like it. And quite frankly, they're they're beginning to get desperate. He keeps slipping through their hands, and so they approach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? You can just hear the condescending tone as they call him teacher. As they look down on him, hey, hey, Teacher. That's right, you're a teacher, right? Okay, we got one for you. And so they bring this woman and they stand her in front of everybody. But if you're reading closely, you're like, wait wait a second, something's wrong. Something's weird with this story already. Adultery is not something you do out in the open, right? Adultery is something that's usually done behind closed doors or at least tent flaps in this, this situation. Right? It's, it's, there, there's, there's something shameful about it, right? I mean, it can often destroy the people that are involved, certainly their families, and definitely even the communities they belong to. So how is it that this, these religious leaders caught this woman in the very act? What were they doing there? What were they doing in her bedroom? It just, it, it feels like a setup from the get-go, knowing these guys are pretty shady, as we've seen in the past. And and this brings us to another confusing part of the story, right? If you're reading, ladies, what are we asking? Where's the guy? <laughs> where's the guy? <laughs> you should be asking that, right? I mean, where's the guy? Why? Are we... <sighs> it doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of sins you can commit by yourself. Adultery's not one of them. <laughs> and so there, the ladies there, but there's no guy. So how committed are these scribes and Pharisees really to the law? Or are they just using it as a pretext in their, for their prejudice against Jesus? These guys knew what the scriptures said. Okay, these guys knew that the law said that if, if two people are caught in the act of adultery, they were both to be brought before the council. Right? Not just the woman. You don't let the guy sneak out the back door, even if he is your best friend. You don't do that. The law requires that they both be brought forward. And the punishment was death. That was intense for sure. So sacred is the marital union to God that those who defile it in this way, in that day, the, ju- the judgment was absolute. Something shady's going on though. I don't think they're really concerned about this woman at all. I, I, don't, I don't think they really care about the act she's caught in. This isn't moral outrage over the woman's sin. It's not moral outrage over the laxity of a community that maybe is involved in, 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 in winking at adultery. I don't think that's what's going on. Jesus is the one on trial here. They want him. And they're going this to use this lady to get him. Now, we don't know anything about this lady. We don't know what she looks like. We don't know if she was half naked there. We, we don't know the situation. All we know... Is that she is known only by her sin, and she's exposed. She's been caught red-handed. That's the that's the accusation. There's no alibi. There, there's no mitigating circumstance here. She's caught, and she's standing in front of these everybody, fully exposed. You can just feel the shame. I mean, th- think about think about it for a second. Let's think about this woman. It. She is going to live the rest of her life with the shame and condemnation of this in a community like that. The the glares that people are going to give her as she walks down the street. If she lives. Put yourself in that story for a second. What, what if it was Easter here, okay? In a few weeks, it's going to be Easter. This place is going to be packed, right? I mean, it's going to be overflow room. Sarah and the worship team, they're going to be going nuts up here, right? We're going to be just praising the Lord. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. But what if in the midst of that, a group of angry religious guys came in and grabbed you and threw you down on this stage, and all you had on was your socks? And then they went on, and they, they started telling every sin that you have done, horrific things. And they had the receipts, right up on the screen here's his search history here's his business ledger this is the way he treats his employees here's a video of him and his wife last week and there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that and it's just horrible now some of you if I would ask you hey you want to just come on on stage real quick and pray Be like, no, you'd be terrified. But but what if you were drug up here and the worst things about your life were exposed in front of everybody? How would you feel about that? Terrified. We'll we'll come back to this woman. Verse 6. That They, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, so it is a trap. So they don't really care about this woman. And this is a brilliant attack on Jesus because because remember what's going on here. This is the festival of tabernacles. So um, they're they're celebrating the fact that Moses years ago led them through the desert empowered by God and, and delivered them. And, and, and Moses was the one that gave us the, the first five books of the, the Bible, right? The Torah. And the Torah was, was the absolute authority where people grounded and lived their lives from. And so essentially is what they're saying is this, hey, Jesus, you, you, you know Moses, right? You remember him? They're all here like singing the praises of Moses and God. And uh, you, you, you remember what he wrote down in Deuteronomy 22, right? I mean, you, you know that. What do you think we should do? And so it gets tense. Okay, because he's seemingly caught in a trap. Because if he says, he says, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't stone her. It's too harsh. Then people would be like, wait a second. Who are you to pick and choose from the law of Moses? The very one we're celebrating here. And if he says, yeah, you, no, you guys are right. Let's go ahead and kill her. Let's throw rocks at her until she's dead. Then... He's going to be in trouble with Rome because, remember, Rome was occupying Jerusalem at that time, and you could not, you could not um, go forward with capital punishment without the, the, the boot of Rome saying yes or no. Rome was ultimately in charge. And if he says that, then those Roman officials that are all around this festival, right, they're listening, they're watching, making sure things don't get, get out of hand, he would, be in threat- he would be threatened with arrest. And if he does nothing, then it seemed like he's just soft on sin. And so he's kind of in this dilemma. So what's he going to do? What's our Lord going to do? Watch this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He just... He just kind of like he ignores them. Right, remember, he's teaching. These guys rudely bust into his class. They throw this woman out. and They start demanding things of him, and what does he do? Silence. And they're getting heated, man. Come on, you know, give us a response. We'll see in the next next uh, sentence here. He just keeps drawing, and silence bothers us. It's bothering some of you right now. (laughs) Like, come on, man, let's go say something. But uh, it bothered them. Render a decision. What do you say? Now listen, we have no idea what he was writing, okay? So, so you, you people that are like, oh yeah, come on. No, we, we don't know. There, there's a lot of speculation down through the centuries. We'll throw a couple out. Some people think that Jesus was actually writing down the names of these guys. Bartholomew, <laughs> Seif, um, the accusers, right? Uh, I don't know, Simeon, uh, self-righteous. Some people think that. I mean, maybe he was just stalling for a second. Father, I need some help on this one. You know? I mean, maybe he was, he was taking the eyes off this woman and taking them on himself. So tender, substitutional mercy. That's, that's like our Jesus, right? One of, the, one of the best things I came across this last week is this. This is an old uh, idea. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. I love that because last week, Jesus is talking about the springs of living water that's going to flow from him for those who come to him. And now he's writing in the dust. I mean, not bad, but we don't know. We don't know for sure. So then after he does that, And they're just completely losing their minds. is what he does next. They kept on questioning him. So he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He completely dismantles their plan at this point. They're now the ones that are starting to feel trapped, I think. Right? They, they, they bring this woman to expose her sin and, and by doing so trap and accuse Jesus but it backfires them and now Jesus seems to be the one that's exposing their sin. Right? He's causing them to be a little introspective at this point. He brings these men into the circle of condemnation that was only supposed to be big enough for the woman in Jesus. He opens the circle up. He says, okay. Yeah, good idea guys. Let, let me just say something First they this is great, they're using the words of God to trap the Word of God. Do you understand that? Remember John, how he opens, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the very Word of God in the flesh. They're using the words of God to trap the Word of God. Never going to work out well. They should have thought that one through, but they were blinded by their own sin and deception and... They had their case against this woman, but Jesus seems to be building a case against them with with a a sentence. And instead of passing judgment on the woman, he forces them to look at themselves. I think this is an allusion to Deuteronomy 13 and 17, where the witnesses of a crime like this were the first to throw the stones because if there was any scandal going on and they couldn't be involved in it at all if there was any scandal going on or if they were involved in in this whole thing at all they would be guilty and they would actually have the same punishment ascribed to them and Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts he knows these guys are hypocrites right he's talked about that before so in essence, it's either, hey, let her go or suffer, suffer the penalty of the law with her. You want the hammer of judgment and justice? Fine. It's going to fall, but it falls on all of us. Bruner, he's a great commentator. He says this about what's going on. He says, Jesus's question isn't intended to void civil or criminal justice, right? It's not like, hey, if you, you got to be sinless. There's nobody sinless. That's not what he was getting at. But his question is intended to probe our motives in human relations as it has successfully probed its hearers for about 20 centuries. Man, we love to judge others by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions, don't we? I mean, we we, we want justice and judgment for them, but for us, forgiveness, mercy, you know, we intended well. And so Jesus bends back down and starts riding on the ground again I think he was giving them an out I, I, I think he was giving them a little time for some self-reflection I mean maybe he was giving them an out so they wouldn't be publicly humiliated I mean the mercy of God is for everybody that wouldn't surprise me if Jesus was thinking along those lines he didn't want, want to destroy them he wanted them to come to the knowledge of the truth just like anybody else Verse 9, at this, those who heard begin to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. One sentence. He speaks one sentence and the whole group of men, and not just any men, these were the powerful, the elite. Right? As for religious pedigree, these guys were Pharisees, the best of the best. And they all, one by one, start to Leave, maybe with their heads hung low. Grown men leaving with possibly a groan. Oh, gosh. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. I think these men became suddenly, became aware of their, their own sin, their own inadequacies. And, and even though their sins were hidden, or hers, hers were exposed, right? Right out for everybody to see. Theirs were hidden, but they realized, I think at this point, that, that Jesus knows all about them and what they're about. I think they came to the realization that they were in the same boat she is. And I think they also realized that they knew they were using this woman to expose and trap Jesus. And the danger that lies ahead of them if they were publicly exposed was intense. So they begin to leave from the oldest to the youngest. You know why the old guys You know why the young guys didn't leave first? Cuz they're stupid. Right? I mean, think about young young guys with with lots of power and authority. Right? They often act, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, very arrogant and very short-sighted. Ladies, <laughs> amen. Okay. Um, that's just what happens. And so the, the, the older guys maybe were a bit wiser. And they realized, I mean, I, I know the older I get, the more I realize how pervasive sin can be in my own life. I'm like, yeah, man, I, I'm out. And they all walked away. The Pharisees were always about bringing the guilt. But Jesus steps in and he brings the grace. Watch him here. So Jesus straightened up and he looked at this woman. He asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. That same word can be translated Lord. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not even one of them stayed? Where, where are they? Not, not even the most righteous Pharisees here? Where'd they go? No one. Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. No one, Lord. Some, some people think that this is her first move towards faith in Christ. We don't know. That term, she could just be returning the dignity that Jesus is speaking to her. We're just not sure about that. Then Jesus says something to this woman that's just, I mean, it it brings me so much comfort and hope. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Think about this. Jesus looks at her for the first time. He hasn't said a word to this woman yet. And he looks at her and he speaks to this woman. And when she hears him, she realizes that this man isn't like any other man. He's not attempting to use her. He's not there to take something from her. He's there. He's all about giving something to her. That's why he's there. He wants to give her something. His heart isn't full of lust. It's not full of condemnation. It's full of mercy and truth and grace and love. Even the way he speaks to her communicates that fact, right? He uses the term woman. Now, woman in our term is not an, in our culture is not an endearing term, right? You call your wife, hey, woman. She, you're probably gonna get smacked. And you probably should. Um, and th- there's a vocal minority of people, even in our culture, that they don't even know what a woman is anymore, right? What's a woman? I don't know. I have, um, but that's not what's going on here. What's go- What's going on here is that He's speaking tenderly, just like Jesus did to his mother at the wedding in Canaan, right? Woman, it's not my time yet. It was a very tender term. Or even from the cross, he spoke this to his mom. And when she hears him speak this way, it's got to be disarming, even inviting. It speaks dignity to her that, that she probably hasn't heard in a very long time, maybe ever. It's very touching. And everybody that wanted to condemn her Was ultimately unqualified to condemn her, and they left. The word is abandoned. They abandoned this woman. She she just, just like a piece of garbage. They didn't care. But the only person that was qualified ultimately to condemn her, he did not condemn her, and he stayed, and he embraced her in a sense. And this woman is about to see what could have been the worst day of her life, the last day of her life. Turns out to be the best day of her life as she comes face to face with the Savior who speaks those words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus rescued this woman from not only her sin, but their sin. And and there's no account of her repenting. We don't know anything else about what happens with this woman. All we know is that while we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. And so why, why didn't he throw the rock? Why didn't he drop the condemnation? She was obviously guilty. It was plain for everyone to see. She was caught in the act. Because he knew where he was going. He was going to the cross. And at the cross, he was going to take her condemnation upon himself. And that's why he could say to her, Listen, um, I'm not condemning you because I'm going to be condemned in your place. Your sin, your rightful sin that that is right to be condemned is going to be condemned by, I'm going to take that condemnation on myself for you. Other places in scripture, me, Jesus, who knew no sin, the, the sinless lamb of God slain from the beginning and the foundations of the world, I am going to become sin so that in turn you can become the righteousness of God. And, and out of that grace that I'm going to give you that foundation, your life is going to look way differently because you're not going to have an ounce of condemnation on you any longer. I'm going to set you free. And when the sun sets you free, man, you're free indeed. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Jesus revealed sin that the Pharisees concealed. But Jesus repealed The sin that was revealed. You get that? I stole that from a theologian. I love it. Um, You try and conceal your sin. He's going to reveal it. And you go away with your shame. But if you reveal your sin before Jesus, man, he's going to repeal it. He's going to take it away. He's going to take it on himself. And he's going to die in your place and give you life. This woman's sin was forgiven, but it wasn't excused. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, but he does condemn her sin. And I think that's important for us to think about as a church, you know, as as Jesus followers. We have not only the right, but the responsibility to condemn what the Bible condemns. And I realize that's not super popular, but, but it looks like this. We don't condemn the thief. Like, that's not our place, right? The law can do that. God can do that. We don't do that. But, 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 but we condemn the stealing. We don't condemn the adulterer, but we do condemn the adultery, right? We don't, we don't condemn um, people like that. We're not in that place, but we are in the place to call out evil when we see it. And I think that's important. And how we approach people that are involved in sin, we need to approach them in the way that Jesus does. He gives mercy to those who come to him, mercy over judgment. No wonder they were trying to kill him, right? Because because Jesus was turning everything upside down. He was going against the practices and traditions of the religious ruling class that had so twisted the words of God. And the idea that many held in that day was that, that there was no room for mercy and grace, right? I mean, you break the law, you're condemned. Throw the rock. The only thing God has for sinners is wrath. And growing up, that's the God that I knew in my head. I, I didn't get it from the scripture, okay? I, I just picked it up, piece here, piece there. But but I always believed that God was against me. That that He He hated, that he, want, he He took joy in punishing. He couldn't wait till I slipped up, right? God hanging over the banister, just you better watch yourself. That's 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 the God that I put together in my mind. And I hated Him for it. I didn't want anything to do with Him. And then I met Jesus. And everything changed. Just like, whoa. I mean, I, I'd gone to church as a kid. I just thought Jesus was some Swedish blonde dude that floated around everywhere. Um, but, but then I read, start reading Jesus. I'm like, whoa. No way. You know everything about me. And yet you want to take my condemnation upon yourself. Why? It's great, great love. Many of us have heard Uh, John 3.16, but we forget about John 3.17 that that says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This was the the thrust of Jesus' ministry, right? He kept going into places, lifting people up, not condemning them, putting them down. And this woman was waiting for the impact of the first stone, right? Waiting for the rock of condemnation and death. And instead, she's hit, impacted by the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Powerful, life changing kinds of uh, interaction with God Himself. And, And one of my favorite verses in the scripture is Romans 8 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. If you conceal your sin, you'll leave with your guilt. But if you reveal your sin, You'll leave today with his grace. That's his invitation to all of us, even today. Okay, six things, real quick. Um, For those of you who have been waiting, now's your time. Okay, here we go. Judge yourself before judging others. Six things we can learn. There's probably 40, but we're doing six. Our world, the world we live in, is so judgmental and hostile to each other, It, it runs on fear and rage. And oftentimes, we in the church are no different. We're so quick to point out the flaws in someone else. But, but we can't see what's going on in our own hearts. So Jesus says things like, look, you got a log. You got a plank hanging out of your own eye. Why are you concerned about the speck in your brother's eye? You got to deal with yourself. And judgment begins with the household of God. So man, we need to start praying, God, expose in me the things that, that I'm holding on to. That are destructive. The ways that I'm judging others. God reveal those things in me. So I can start judging myself rightly. Second thing we learn is. Now we need to drop the rocks. These two are tied together. The grace of God seeks to rescue a person. Not bury them. Not condemn them. Grace based morality humbly affirms that, that. We're a lot like the people that, that we're trying to minister to. Right, We all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what happens when you truly experience the grace of God is you start taking these rocks out of your pockets and just throwing them down. And some of you have been wronged tremendously and you're still carrying rocks. And I, and I get it. I know why you're angry about that. You should be angry. You've been sinned against. But having those rocks, it, it's, it's, it's going to hurt you. You got to let it go. You have to trust it to God. i not, not saying that it was okay. No, it wasn't okay. But some of you need to drop those rocks and, and trust the outcome to God, who is the perfect judge, who knows everything intimately about you and loves you and cares for you. The Pharisees were impersonal. impersonal. They didn't care about this woman, right? They, they, were, they were selective, right? Where's the guy? They let him go out the back door. We don't know. They were punishment oriented. But Jesus is deeply personal. He connects and he lifts this woman up. Right? Jesus, um, well Romans 2 tells us that God shows no favoritism. And ultimately Jesus acted righteously to extend mercy to her in order to, and don't miss this, in order to produce righteousness in her own life wasn't just some get-out-of-jail-free card. No, he wanted her to change. And I think the beauty of his, his actual words actually carry the power to do it because we know he's going to send the Spirit of God that's going to empower us to live differently. And at the end of the day, it's only going to be you and Jesus. Your spouse isn't going to be there. Your dad's not going to be there. Kids aren't going to be around. Your pastor's not going to be there. It's going to be you And the Lord standing before God. And if you. Attempt to justify yourself. On your own. You will be destroyed eternally. But if you. Call out to Jesus. And ask for his forgiveness. He will take all your condemnation. And you will stand before a holy God. Spotless without blemish. And he will say these words. Enter into the joy of your rest. The most beautiful thing you've ever heard. What you do with Jesus is the most important thing you'll ever do. Because here's the fact. You read on in John 3. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, you stand condemned already. Apart from Jesus Christ, the whole world stands condemned. He has come not to condemn, but to save. And think about these words. Don't choose darkness over light. Jesus takes our condemnation and he forgives our sin. We, we hide our sin. Jesus ex- exposes it. Why? So he can forgive it. So he can take it upon himself and give you a life that you never thought possible. The worship team and the uh, ushers are going to come forward. We're going to do communion here. Two more things. Jesus comes to us humbly and gives us dignity. Man, I love that. He, he comes to lift us out of our despair. So shouldn't we as followers of Jesus treat each other in the same way? I mean, you, come, you know someone's in, in some gross kind of sin. You don't go, go to him to crush them. You go to him to lift them up. You, you call the sin what it is. But you go with mercy and grace in hopes of restoring, speaking dignity in the person. You're not the sin you are. You're, 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 you're different than that. That doesn't define you. And finally, Jesus calls us to life that truly is life. He says, go and sin no more. It's not, he's not saying, you better watch yourself now. Because you fail, I'm going to... No. I think he said that with tears in his eyes. I think he said, go and sin no more. Because he knew this woman. He knew the destruction that this action, these behaviors would would render in her life. He knew where she would end up if she continued going down this road. Man, I've got a daughter and I cherish her. And I think Jesus looks at her like that. It's like, even though she maybe didn't know she was his daughter yet. but, But he talks to her like she's his daughter. Right, Go and sin no more. I want what's good for you. I want what's what's best for you. Some of you are carrying around a whole lot of condemnation today. You've met Jesus. You've been forgiven. But you've got all this condemnation that that you think you're going to somehow help God out by carrying around. It's not yours. He took it from you. Why would you pick that back up? And live a life of condemnation and shame. You're forgiven of it. Set it down. Man, you got to set that down. He wants you to be free. He didn't go through all this so you could help him out. We bring nothing to the table except our great need. And he brings his incredible grace. So we're going to come to the table today. And um, Jesus invites us to come. And for those of us who know him to come and have a meal with him, for those who don't know him, now is your time. You ask Jesus, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, take my condemnation, and you come and take the bread and the wine, take it back to your seat, and then we'll all take it together and we'll talk about what that that means. Amen. 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 Psalm 34. Twenty-one. The evil will slay the wicked. The enemies of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. No one. I don't care. I don't care what you've done, what you've been involved in. You don't have to walk out of here with any condemnation today. You confess to the Lord. He you're an orphan. He brings you into the family of God. I love that verse in that song. We're all orphans apart from Christ. And for those of us who know Jesus and don't, don't carry that condemnation anymore, we've got prayer teams on the sides. Um, if you want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, whatever, just go connect with these guys. They love you. Trust me. I know them. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for saving us. Thank you for defeating the principalities and powers and and darkness on that cross. You made a public spectacle of them, Lord. They're exposed now for who they are. And you're triumphant in who you are. And we love you for that. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. Thank you for that. May we walk in the newness of that power this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.